with all purity as you would your own sisters. Take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. This is something that pleases God. Now, a true widow, a woman who is truly alone in this world, has placed her hope in God. She prays night and day, asking God for his help. But the widow who lives only for pleasure is spiritually dead even while she lives. Give these instructions to the church so that no one will be open to criticism. But those who won't care for their relatives, boy, we, we botch the use of this verse because the context is about caring for widows. Those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. There's many a man who's faced hard times that has looked at this and thought that he was in jeopardy of hellfire because he couldn't provide for his own family. I'm here tonight to tell you that I don't care how many times you've repeated that verse and how many times somebody else has repeated that verse to you, that is not what it means. This is about caring for a widow. This is what Paul's focus is on. It's caring for those who are destitute within your own family. Such people are worse than unbelievers. A widow who is put on the list, the list, did you know there's a list? I don't know where we keep that list, but there's supposed to be a list. A widow who is put on the list for support must be a woman who is at least 60 years old and was faithful to her husband, or the Greek says was married to one husband. She must be well-respected by everyone because of the good she has done. And then he gives a list of questions. Has she brought up her children well? Has she been kind to strangers and served other believers humbly? Has she helped those who are in trouble? Has she always been ready to do good? The younger widows should not be on the list. Verboten. May not be entered on the list, whatever the list is or wherever it's kept. The widows that are younger should not be on the list because... Their physical desires will overpower their devotion to Christ, and they will want to remarry. They're going to see a guy that they want to marry. Then, listen closely, they would be guilty of breaking their previous pledge. So to get on the list, there's a pledge. What's the pledge? And if they are on the list, they will learn to be lazy because they're young and got lots of energy, Paul thinks. They will learn to be lazy. They will spend their time gossiping from house to house, meddling in other people's business, and talking about things they shouldn't. Wow, you young ladies are getting the rip here. So, I advise these younger widows to marry again, have children, and take care of their own homes then the enemy will not be able to say anything against them, for I am afraid that some of them have already gone astray and now follow Satan. Holy moly. All right. Wow. 
If a woman who is a believer has relatives who are widows, she must take care of them and not put the responsibility on the church. No list. (laughs) Then the church can care for the widows who are truly alone. And then Paul seems to make a shift, but it's really not a shift. Because if you haven't picked up on it yet, Paul is dealing with some housekeeping structural issues with regard to the operation of the body of Christ in very human matters. He says, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. This is the worthy of double honor phrasing that some of you are familiar with. Should be paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Desi does not think Paul succeeds at this metaphor. I think it makes perfect sense. You would harness up some beast of burden to a to a wheel that they would, as they would walk in a circle, it would turn this wheel and it would crush or grind the grain. Um, Well, as this is happening, there would be spit. There would be parts coming out of the grinding that would come to the ground and the ox would be loosely tethered and so the ox would be able to get some of that food. And there's actually an Old Testament passage that says, don't muzzle that ox who's treading out the corn. Now, I don't like the image of being an elder in a church that I'm tied to a post running around in a circle grinding grain. That's a rather not so good image, but Paul uses it and says, don't muzzle your ox. I guess I'm your ox tonight, particularly if I am faithful in preaching and in teaching. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. And there's both an Old Testament and a New Testament passage that's being cited there by him. He then goes on, he says, do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. What's really funny is preachers have cited that verse all the time, but they skip the next one. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. And it's very funny because preachers have used that to talk about you. But the context is about us. Those who sin is not the church. Those who sin are the elders. The elders who are worthy of pay. The elders who are not to be muzzled. The elders who are not to be accused except in the mouth of two or three witnesses. If there is sin, they should be reprimanded in front of the whole church because that will make everybody else worry about being reprimanded in front of the whole church. Interesting, huh? Verse 21, he says to Timothy, I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water, Timothy. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. This is real practical, isn't it? Told you it'd be a little funny. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment, but others, well, 
There's others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? So, do I need to go buy some wine to mix with my water? What about this list? Lil, we got an administrative oversight. I don't know where the list is. And furthermore, I don't know where this oath is, this, this promise, this, this declaration. What, what, what is this? So what's going on here? Okay. Well, first of all, the whole widowship piece is clearly when we, when we back up and we look at the larger Christian history context, we know that this is something that has come, we see it in the book of Acts, in the Jewish church, because this is where deacons first come into play. Those who serve the body first came into play because there were Hebrew, meaning Hebrew-speaking, and there were Grecian, meaning Greek-speaking, widows, and the Hebrews were complaining that the Greeks, or did I get that reversed? It's reversed, sorry. The Greeks, yeah. Thank you, Desi, for confirming that on the fly. The Greek widows were complaining that the Hebrew widows were getting preferential treatment in their care. So you know what the apostles did. The apostles appointed deacons. And you'll notice that a lot of the names of the deacons were, in fact, Greek names. They were not stupid apostles. So they appointed people who were Greek-speaking Jews who would then go and care, and that way the bias, supposed or real, whichever it was, could be addressed. The Christians in the ancient world, part of how they conquered the Roman Empire is they exploited areas in which the empire did not care for its citizens. If you had a baby and you did not want that baby, it was customary to take him or her out to an exposed place the rocks, if you will, and leave the baby there to die from the weather and starvation. So the Christians started rescuing babies. Orphanages are a Christian innovation. If you were wealthy, the doctor came to your home. And if you were poor, tough on you, you died. So Christians started caring for those who couldn't pay for their care. Hospitals are a Christian innovation. They exploited a lot of areas. And when I say exploited, they used it to their benefit. And this is why when the Romans would kill them in the Colosseums or when there would be sporadic local persecution against the Christians, this is why the Christians were able to be, they were sympathized with because these were people who helped. Another one that most of you don't know about is, is that unless you had uh, money to join a society, you would not get properly buried. So the Christians would bury those who were not a part of the burial society. They'd bury the poor. So Paul is dealing with how does the church carry out its function in caring for one another? All of his instructions in this particular chapter 
are about the proper care for the whole family of God. And it's kind of funny because some of the pieces of it are foreign to us because they make no sense. Why don't we have a widow's list? Does anybody know? Social Security. We do not live in the Roman Empire. We live in the United States of America. That has its pluses and its minuses. When Desi dies, Rachel is not completely alone and destitute. She's not. So what happens is, is that Paul is dealing in his context and in his time about how are we caring for one another. And the first takeaway as leaders that we have to understand is that the application changes with time and place. In fact, there may be places around the world in which this letter and this particular passage and application is still applicable. It's still a reality. So all of you with Social Security, when you show up to sign up for the list, verboten. You got your Social Security. The church is not paying for your living. The government is. That's why you pay your taxes. But what we can learn from this is the principle that Paul is instructing that we care for one another, that needs are met. Now, here's the problem. Like the widows, like Paul's instructions about the younger widows, because Paul never says no to something that he wasn't already having trouble with. In other words, there were young widows who were coming and saying, put me on the list. And I'm guessing, I can't guarantee it, but I'm guessing the oath they were taking is, I'm not marrying again. So they're looking at this as like a sweet, they're noticing somebody else, and they got caught the young gentleman's eye or the man's eye, and, and they're interested in getting remarried, and Paul says they're breaking their oath. Paul says, stop putting the young widows on it. They need to work. They got a back behind them. They've got the ability to operate. Paul believed in women working. If you don't believe in women working, I don't know what to tell you because it says it right there. Because otherwise, we humans, if we don't have work to do, guess what we do? We get in trouble. And that's men and women, by the way. That's not just women. We all get in trouble. If we don't have productive things to do, we get in trouble. We tend to butt our nose into things. We tend to have opinions about things. We tend to prattle on and talk about things. And they're none of our business, and we get ourselves into trouble. So Paul's dealing with this. He's, he's instructing this. What strikes me about this, this chapter is, first of all, how many of the things are different within our socio-cultural context. How there's not a list. I don't have a list. My father, when he retired, did not hand me a list. I've never known of a list in the church. I've certainly never known of an oath that was taken. But at the same time, this principle of caring for one another and properly caring for one another, proper conduct. How much does the preacher get paid? 
And I bet if I sat down and we, we decided to have a, a discussion about that, that could get, that could get very interesting tonight. Because we all come from different backgrounds and we've got different ideas. Some of you come from high churches where the salary was set by the central church and your preacher was sent to you and he showed up or she showed up and, and oh, by the way, they left when the central church said for them to leave too, whether you liked it or not. And you really didn't have much say over what was going to happen there. That's just how it worked. It was in, it was out. And, and that preacher may be a great one. You may have liked them or you may have disliked them. In Pentecostal heritage and tradition, that's not so much. Preachers have tended to be little kingpins. The church is theirs. Part of it is that pioneer spirit by which we build the church, by which we eke it out of nothing. And then once it becomes something, well, we own it. But we don't. Part of the problem is, is that there's not the ownership on the part of a church to care for the preacher. And so then once the preacher can care for him or herself, uh, they do so, and sometimes they do it in style. Can you notice in principle, even though the applications are different, these are all the types of things that Paul is trying to set in order. He's trying to fix. He's trying to deal in this letter to Timothy in whatever context Timothy has. And we could talk about whether we're talking about the church at Ephesus or whether it's another place where Timothy is, is operating this. But Paul is giving his son in the Lord instruction about very, what I would call, mundane or practical things. And it is funny how we cherry pick, isn't it? As I was reading and preparing for tonight, I've heard many a time, don't receive an elder, accusation against an elder except the mouth of two or three witnesses. But I ain't heard it so much saying, now when that elder missteps, bring him before the church and correct them publicly so that both the elders and the church think twice about misbehaving. In other words, if there are two or three witnesses, what are you supposed to do? wonder if I should get the judicial process of the United Pentecostal Church reviewed in light of that passage. <laughs> I have a feeling that wouldn't pass the general conference floor very quickly. It might. It might. These are practical things, and Paul is dealing with them. And one of the things that I want you to see is that his concern is that, like he speaks of in Corinthians, that things are done decently, that things are done orderly, that things are done appropriately. But what is appropriate in one context shifts to another context. Whether it be widows, whether it be speaking to elders, whether it be elders and their proper pay. An elder there is the presbyteros, the, the, another term that was used for a pastor, one who preaches and teaches. And then we get this lovely little thing that those of us in a, in a drunken society, and I think it's safe to say in our society, we're a drunken society. We are a, a, an addicted society. Paul's saying, don't just drink water, Timothy, and he puts a little, little wine in there. Because even back then they knew that wine had a certain effect upon the stomach, upon the digestive tract. That's another possibility as well. That's exactly right, because the fermentation killed the germs as opposed to polluted water. So what do we do with all this? How do, how do we deal with these practical instructions here? Well, first of all, we're not starting a list, okay? So I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay, we're not starting a list. We're just not. 
okay? I love all the widows that happen to be in the church here. But, um, and I won't talk about which ones of you are young and which ones of you are old. We're not going to talk about that. That's a problem area. I'll get myself into real trouble. It'll be worse than spraining my ankle. <laughs> okay. But I do think that the reason I, I, I almost shied away from looking at this chapter. And I thought, no, let's, let's deal with this. Not only does it have a, a certain humorous element to it. As we read this, as you pause for a minute and actually consider what it's actually saying, but also because we all have opinions about these things. And the challenge in leaders is that there's times that it's not about right or wrong, it's a judgment call. I could argue to you that Paul could have made a different judgment call on some of his instructions. These are not things downloaded from on high. These are things that Paul, from his culture and his background and his perspective, thought made sense. And now today in 2019, from my culture and my background, he sounds like a loony bin. Why? Because culture shifts and changes. So now what do we face? We live in a society that is multicultural. We live in a society where we've come from a lot of different backgrounds. And this church in particular is full of people with different opinions. That makes it rich, and it also makes it troublesome. Because we all come in with expectations. We all come in with things that make sense to us. And we judge one another according to our expectations. And when our expectations are not met, that becomes a problem. That becomes an issue. For example, your expectation if you had come to Newark United Pentecostal Church in the first 10 years of its existence, your expectation would have been that every few Saturdays, you would have sat in front of Pathmark and sold baked goods to help raise money for the church. And the expectation, I don't know who set the rule, but the expectation was the pastor showed up, set the table up, and went away. I have no idea why he wasn't sitting there selling baked goods. But he went away. And he came back after the bake sale, and he broke down the table, but he did not sell baked goods. Now, ladies and gentlemen, from my vantage point, I want to know why he wasn't selling baked goods. What's the problem? Why couldn't he sell baked goods? What's, is he too good for baked goods? Is he, got, is he too high on his horse for baked goods? What's the problem here? Why can't he sell baked goods? What's wrong with baked goods? Okay, some of you starting to catch where I'm going. Some of you starting to catch the drift of where I'm going here. But that was the expectation. Everything ran smooth. It was fine. And we got pictures in the archives of my mom sitting out there with her little scarf on selling baked goods. Other people... Selling baked goods. Did we buy the supplies for the baked goods? Yes. 
everybody donated them. There's other churches that buy the supplies and the person gives the labor of doing the baked goods. But the supplies are bought by the church. Did the supplies for your baked sales get bought by the church? Oh, my goodness. See, Bartlesville doesn't know how to give. That's just horrible. We supplied the supplies and baked. They did it every week. We did it once a month or something. There is no point in the life of a church that the mundane is not present. And hear me clearly tonight, as I hope you can see from this passage as we've read, the answers to those questions are constantly changing. They're not fixed. That's why it's important to understand, as Dr. Brickles talked about, genre. This is not the words of Jesus downloaded from on high that are set eternally in heaven. No, this is representing the operation of the body of Christ. You have to discern. You have to recognize. There are times that decisions are made within the local church about how we're going to operate that have nothing to do with eternity. They just have to be a decision of how we're going to operate. Hopefully there's a logic to it. Hopefully there's a reason behind it. And hopefully we do it in an orderly fashion. But nowhere is this downloaded from heaven. But the problem is, is that every one of us, even if you've never been in church, you come in with an opinion. Because of how you were raised, you know what makes sense, what's orderly, what's appropriate. And bless God, I make this safe in space and my father and mother before me and we all together are making a safe space so we all have no problem opening our mouths and saying what we think should happen in this church. And if you're new to us, join in on the fun. It'll be okay. So we all got opinions and boy, they don't always match. And then what happens is, too, is over the life of a church, a church develops its own culture, its own traditions. And if you touch those traditions, I love this one. I don't know how he did it. Don't tell my dad I'm telling you this. He told people. He told me. He told people that he was going to start a church by visiting people in the hospital. Because he didn't know what else to tell him. Because he didn't know what he was going to do. So he said, I'm going to visit people in the hospital. My father hates visiting people in the hospital. Like the plague. I don't know why. He just doesn't like it. Okay? Now, I don't know what he did before visiting people in the hospital. Okay? I have no idea what he did before. I came home in 1996, but I'm telling you, the moment I hit the ground in 1996, my father stopped visiting people in the hospital, period. It was me. And they threw a fit about it. I remember some elders just being so ticked off about the fact that Pastor Beardsley wasn't visiting the hospital. I don't think he visited them before either. I don't know how he did that. Somehow he duped them for a while that he, they thought he was visiting them, but he really wasn't. I don't know how he did that. Because I'm telling you, my father did not like to visit people in the hospital. 
But I'm, I'm the junior minister. I'm, I'm just an assistant to the pastor, and I'm, visit, I'm visiting him in the hospital. Isn't it the funniest thing? Here we are, decades later, I'm now the senior pastor, and they're doing it over again. Everybody's ticked because I'm not the one always visiting them in the hospital. Since 1996, you did not have the senior pastor visiting you in the hospital. Why are you having a cow? Because our expectations change very slowly. Very slowly. I can't find anywhere in Scripture that says. In fact, it says, last time I checked it, if you're sick... Call for the elders of the church and let them anoint you with all and pray over you and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise you up. So I'm not seeing where it's got to be one particular person, but see, we've got our cultural expectations. We've got our backgrounds. We've got what kind of churches did you come from? How many pastors were in that church? So in my just short little amount of time left, let me use this as a launch point to tell you I know I'm shifting the ground under most of you. I know I am. I realize that some of the things you have been used to for 20 years, some of you 30 years, 40 years, suddenly the rules have changed. First, I hire this lady that you think is really cool. And then she starts asking you questions before you can have a meeting with me. And some of you are like, I ain't talking to you. <laughs> She's been very kind and gracious to you. I've heard about it on the other end, but anyway. <laughs> and so I said, just, just hold on, stay steady. So then, then, then some of you started getting used to the fact that you didn't get, because some of you had a cow when you called the phone that you didn't get me immediately. And I'm not talking to her. Well, now you're used to talking to her. In fact, it was a really funny moment a few years into it that somebody called and I was covering the phones that day because she was occupied. And they said, oh, I don't want you. I want Sister Leela. I thought, oh, wow, okay. This is, this is a good step. This is, this is positive. And... Insult above all, they had a Bible question. <laughs> and they told me they had a Bible question. And I'm like, PhD, biblical studies? I think I can, I think I can punt. I think I can step in, maybe. No, 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 I need Sister Leela. Okay. Now I start putting people in front of you, and I watch you. I watch your face. Listen to you. You're enjoying the word that comes forth. You're enjoying the teaching that's coming forth. You're growing. You're hearing different voices. I hear you talking. I hear, man, my, my, my Calvin poll ratings have gone way down. There's kids that are like, oh, Sister Rachel's the best thing. Oh, I love her to preach. And then other people are like, oh, Rosh, he's just, he's the cat's meow. And Meg gets mad about that, too, because then, then she gets, okay. So we do all of that malarkey, right? But when it comes time for pastoral care, it's got to be Pastor Steve. And no, Sister Leela, 
kindly. I'm not telling you what it's about. What's going on? Our cultural expectations are coming into play. So here's the reality, and I'm starting with you, and it will continue to be communicated to you. If you haven't noticed it, it's already been happening. And if you don't know my pattern, you'll see that. I start something, then I tell you what I'm doing later. It's April. I started something at the beginning of the year, then I tell you later. Okay? If, now listen to me very carefully. None of this is from on high in the sense of that it's a principle that's timeless. This is very practical. Just like Paul's instruction to Timothy to drink water with wine. Just like Paul's instruction that the younger widows should marry rather than go on the list. Just like Paul's instruction that the elders should be paid so that they could preach and teach to the body. Just like you should not take accusation against an elder except in the mouth of two or three witnesses. When you come for pastoral care, if I'm the only one who can do it, we're done, ladies and gentlemen. We have maxed out the number of people we can touch. You said, well, you should work harder, Pastor Steve. I got news for you, and I hope you receive it kindly. Jesus already died for you. He does not require me to die for you. Okay? Jesus already died for you. He does not require me to die for you. Doesn't help. You won't get anything out of this blood. You'll just be looking for another pastor. There's no way that I am going to live a life in which I care for you to get to heaven and my own children do not make it because I didn't have time for them. I'm not going to wake up when my children leave and suddenly look across the table at a woman who I do not know. Because we poured ourselves into our children, that's our responsibility, and we poured ourselves into a church, and then we woke up and we don't know each other. And at the end of my ministry, at the end of our lives, we don't have any relationship. Now that means there's going to be change. That means there's going to be transition. And not all of it are you going to like. I appreciate Brother Scott clapping and all of that. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. But frankly, you're new. <laughs> you're enjoying what's happening here, and you're not the one that has to deal with the transition quite as much. Some of you have been growing up in the church your whole life. Maybe not even this local church, but you've been growing up in the church your whole life, and you have expectations of what's happening. What does it mean to be pastored? What does it mean to be cared for? How does this all operate? There's a team of pastors who are serving you. Yes, there is no question that you know me. And I thank you for the trust that you accord to me. But that trust has to go beyond just trusting me. you got to trust my judgment in who I say can care for you. I quoted to you a while back, it was last year, that in order to grow, in order to provide what we have available to others, a church will hit a spot where it will stagnate, and unless there are structural shifts, if the apostles did not structurally shift and stop serving the bread to the widows, the church at Jerusalem would have stagnated. 
They said, it was fine when we started, but now we need to change. There will be more changes. Ten years from now, I don't even know what the changes will be. Twenty years from now, I don't know what the changes will be. Twenty years from now, it'll be somebody else's job to make the changes. Thank you, Jesus. It's not going to be me. Change always happens. We've got to keep our eye on the mission. How many of you love the mercy and grace of God you hear preached in this place? Does anybody else have a right to hear it? Then we have to structurally build to be able to do that. One person can't carry it out. It's not just me being lazy. In fact, it's not even me being lazy. To tell you, this has to shift from pastor-centric to body-centric. Now, I know it's hard. I can imagine Timothy, when he looks at the first young widow who comes to get on the list, and he goes, nope, you're too young. What do you mean I'm too young? Apostle Paul wrote me. He said, if I put you on the list, you're going to start, you're going to start gossiping. I've never heard such things in all of my life. I'm not making fun of you. Our expectations flow in. But if we do not adjust, if we do not allow those who are called to make those adjustments and to give those directions, then what happens is, is the church becomes disorderly and it doesn't fulfill its mission. What is our mission? We must, like Jesus, seek and save the lost. I can't do that alone. We have now in the last couple of months started bumping yet again into the 180s on attendance. We are not going to break through that number if we don't shift this dynamic. We've bumped it multiple times. We will not break through until we shift this dynamic. You have to allow the body to care for you. You have to trust the pastoral team that they will provide care for you. And what's amazing is, is some of you are going to find out that they're smarter than me. You had the B string and you didn't even know it. They might not have the experience I have, but they're going to have life experiences that I don't have. They're going to have insights into your needs that I don't carry. And so there has to be a shift. You have to allow that you no longer have a single pastor. Do I have responsibilities? Absolutely. Am I the senior pastor? Absolutely. For a season, for a time. But God has blessed us with multiple pastors. And you're going to have to grow, congregation, to trust those people. Say, well, I want on Steve's list. The more time you spend in the church, the less you need me. I had one person articulate at one point sometime in the last 30 years. I'm a founding member of this church. I've been here for 30 years. I've been here for this amount of time, and you won't meet with me. If you've been here that long, then there's some spiritual maturity that you have. There's some growth that you have. 
You don't need me. In fact, you might not even need a meeting at all. But if you do, there's somebody else that can help you. Men and women are working in our midst whom God has called. Are you letting them minister to you? Are you letting them care for your souls? Are you letting them watch for you? Well, how's this going to work? I'll tell you how it's going to work. You call 302-738-7899. You'll get Leela, the executive pastor. You'll tell her in brief what you need, and she will give you the best pastor for you. Say, I don't trust Leela. I know. But I do. So now you got to decide, do you trust me? Well, I trust you, Pastor Steve. That's not the problem. I don't trust her. I don't trust who she's going to send me to. But I do. Now remember, I promise you when Timothy, and I'm closing, when Timothy (laughs) went and implemented 1 Timothy chapter 5, there were some people that weren't happy. Promise you they weren't happy. They were upset because they were being told no. They were being told this is how it's going to operate. But God has called us to submission one to another. Submission to his plan. How do we reach the world if it all operates off of me? We don't. But if it's spread out to the entire body, we can reach the world. And that has to happen. You see, leadership is not just telling others what to do. Leadership is also knowing when you are no longer the one to do it. And I know that some of you aren't going to like me for a season. And that's okay. I'll love you anyway. But there are going to be times when you hear the words, he's not available. And you're going to have to decide who you will meet with. Who are you going to receive the care from? Are you going to submit to the body ministering to you? Or are you going to insist on your way? Because at the end of the day, we've got to reach the entire world. The same mercy and grace you have received needs to be given to others. And if we don't find a way to do that, practically, not just spiritually, but practically, and we will have been delinquent in what God has called us to do. So we have to shift. We have to grow. And I believe in all of you. You can do it. It won't be easy. You won't like it. But you can do it. I should put you on the spot and make you clap after that, Scott. But you don't need to. Let's stand. Ushers are coming to receive our offering. Desi.